Good morning. It's good to see you guys. <clears throat> Filled this one up too. First service was full. We couldn't believe it because it was 24 church. And we were like, where'd all these people come from at 8.30 in the morning? <laughs> then I made mention, I know we've got a lot of country folks, so that I thought, well, country folks get up early and, you know, people like teachers, you know, stuff like that. People, people have more of their act together in life, you know, really, when you're, when you're thinking about it. But uh, anyway, I said, uh, you know, some of them probably had already had, uh, you know, biscuits and gravy by the time they got to here. And then, uh, and then I said, well, the, you know, folks from California are probably going, what's gravy? So I, uh, a few weeks ago, we were, we've, got a, we've got a new welcoming team that kind of helps People try to get acclimated that are new and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, they'll show people around, give tours and that kind of thing on Sunday mornings. And <clears throat> there was a family out here with one of them a few weeks back. And I'm in the hallway and I was like, oh, you guys are new? Hey, my name's Chris, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, they said, uh, yeah, we're, you know, we, we, we're, you know, it's our first time and all that. And I said, well, so where are you guys from? And they kind of went. And I, I mean, they didn't answer me for a minute. And I was like, oh, you guys are from California, aren't you? And, <laughs> and I said, it's okay. We, we're glad you're here. Like, we really are, you know. I know there's other people that are not, but we are, you know. So anyway, maybe they have gravy in California. I don't know. Um, let's, uh, a couple things I need to tell you about before we jump into this. Uh, we've got a couple big things uh, coming up really fast. We've got a Serve Sunday coming up at the end of the month. You want to go ahead and get signed up for that today. I know Ben will talk some uh, details of that or whatever, but uh, uh, make sure you jump into that. We, we, this is, this is, we do this a couple times a year where we basically just we get everybody together on a Sunday morning. We have a, we have a short worship service, one service, <laughs> versus like today, like three, uh, and then we go out and we serve the community. And so we'd love for you to jump in with us on that. We're, we'll be doing all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of projects. He'll talk about that. The other thing I want to make mention of, especially for those people that consider 24 home, you do not want to miss the next two weeks, okay? And all your power, try to be here over the next two weeks. Next week, we'll be talking through the vision of some of the things that God is calling us to do as a church, uh, and specifically talking about the Hope Center, uh, which is a sober living house, an addiction recovery house, uh, that we are planning on building, uh, and then the week after that will be what we call the Big Give. We do this, we do this one time a year Big Give offering, where we encourage people to pray about uh, basically bringing extra if they've got extra to bring to give uh, toward a thing, and so all of that money on that day is going to go. Uh, hopefully, uh, to us helping see us finalizing having the money to uh, starting this Hope Center here, right here in our community. And so, uh, here, here's the way this works for us. We feel that God has called us to be missionaries right here. And if that's true, then we can't ignore the things that are needs right here in this community, such as addiction and things like that. We have to be an active part of that. And so, uh, the Lord is leading us toward uh, working together with the Hope Center Ministries to do this sober living house, uh, also uh, to do bus ministry and start working with uh, some of the neighborhoods and things that we've already been uh, working with some with uh, over the last several years, but uh, kind of stepping that up as well. All that money will go to, toward that. So next two weeks, don't miss. 
Uh, you got it. All right, let's jump into this. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Go to the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will bring you one. They would love for you. I would love for you to have one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one and consider it a gift. John chapter 10 is the first passage that we're looking at today uh, in a list of passages. Uh, and, um, you know, this passage reminds me of, uh, you know, Friday night. We talked uh, at Good Friday about God's perfect timing, you know. Uh, you know, and we and we say things like, "I know God's got perfect timing and all that kind of stuff," uh, you know. But then, a lot of times in life, we forget about that. We're not, you know, we 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 get stalled out by stuff happening. I was on my way to church this morning, and I don't know why, but I was behind a mail truck that was going 35 miles an hour all the way down 41A, and I just kept going. It's Easter Sunday. It's Easter, it's Easter Sunday, it's Easter Sunday, it's Easter Sunday. And I was just going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And uh, I struggle sometimes behind the wheel. But uh, yeah, and you know, but God's perfect timing is so perfect, and we talked about this Friday night, that it's so perfect to the point that even at the time of which Judas would betray Jesus, Jesus is the one that tipped the hat. He's like, he's like all right. It's time for you to go now, you know? You think about that, you know? I mean, like, every, every aspect of his timing. And like Nathan said, you can't have the resurrection without the cross. And, and so all the way down to Christ's crucifixion and his rising from the dead, all of these things filled prophecy, and all of these things were in his perfect timing. John 10, verse 18, Jesus even alludes to that this would go down the way he wanted it to go down. As he was teaching in John 10, verse 18, it says this, just this one verse, it says, no one, this is Jesus speaking, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Isn't that crazy? I mean, like when you think about that, think about anything, anything that's died. I mean, you know, and I'm sure even for the disciples and all these people that were so close to Jesus that saw him do ministry for so long, had to, even in his death, wonder, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I'm one of those folks, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I saw him raise people from the dead, but that's a little different than he's dead. But he told them what he would do, and he told them that he had the authority to do it. But they didn't quite understand. And the truth is, if we'd been there, we wouldn't have quite understood either. I want to jump into John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, uh, I, I love getting to share uh, portions of, of the story of Christ's resurrection uh, on Easter, and that's no different today. And in John chapter 20, uh, we see one of the accounts of the Gospels um, here in verse 1, and it says this. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, 
and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth and had, that had been, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. And as far for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. This passage reminds me that people people meet Jesus in different ways, at different times and in different ways. You know, I I, I think that I think, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, somebody just needs to hear the gospel and then, you know, uh, and then they trust in the Lord, they believe, you know, and absolutely, yeah. But, you know, the Holy Spirit plays a part in this. And the Spirit speaks to our hearts and draws us toward the Lord and draws us to an understanding of that this is true and that this is worth putting our faith in. This is worth believing in, right? And so there's this work of God happening, and it happens differently for different people. And you see all these people in this moment, you know, not that they didn't believe, not that these people didn't believe in Jesus as the Lord at this point. I'm not sure that they really understood, like, the, the weight of that statement. You know, you've got Mary Magdalene, you've got a couple disciples here, and in this moment, they're all, they're all reacting differently, Right? You know, Mary, Mary Magdalene's uh, first initial thing is somebody, somebody's a grave robber. Somebody has stolen Jesus' body. I got to go tell the boys. She runs back. Two of them come running, right? And they get there and, you know, one beats the other, but he stays outside for a minute. The other one gets there, you know, right behind him. He goes right in. And then the second one goes in. And then when he sees the cloth line there, he immediately believes, and there's some recollection that happens for him of something that Jesus has shared with them over and over. But although they've shared it, he shared it over and over, it didn't happen the same way for the other two. After this passage, Jesus appears to Mary, right? And so you have, and, and I encourage you, if you want to read through the rest of the book of John, you know, later today or tomorrow, whatever it may be, uh, I encourage you to do so. But what you'll see is you'll see Jesus appearing to Mary. You know, Mary, you know, has a moment where she thinks it's a gardener, okay? And then Jesus is, you know, he speaks to her in, in such a way that she's like, oh my gosh, Rabbi, it's you. And then she believes and sees it's him and, you know, falls her feet and all these kinds of things. And so, um, you know, then shortly after that, you know, right after that passage, then the next passage in the book of John is that Jesus appears to the disciples, right? And so we, we see him appearing to the disciples. No surprise there. He's going back to his voice, but he doesn't appear to all of the disciples. Doesn't appear to all of them. And in fact, there's one in particular that's missing and his name is Thomas. And you remember what goes with Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. And so we have this passage 
after the passage where he appears to the disciples, where we now have Thomas on the scene, but Jesus is gone. And I want to read that with you, John 20, 24. And it says this. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in his, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. And I think, man, that, that sounds like me once upon a time in my life. And some days it sounds like me when I'm not putting my faith in the Lord and I'm anxious, and I'm worried, and I'm wondering what's really going to happen, and I forget that he's got perfect timing, and I do not. And even here, I see God's perfect timing in that he purposely, Jesus purposely, appears to the disciples when Thomas is not there. I mean, he could have waited, or he could have waited around, you know? He could have said, hey, go get Thomas. Let's make it a party. Let's get everybody here, right? He doesn't do that. Why? Because he knows all these things. He knows what's going to happen. And then in verse 26, it says three words. Eight days later. Eight days later. Right? I mean, in our heads, I think, I think we think that this all happens like, you know, over like, you know, just a few hours after Jesus is, is you know, rosen from the grave. We're talking like 40 days. I mean, Jesus is around for a while. He teaches like 1 Corinthians 15 tells you that, you know, Paul tells us that he taught like 500 people at one time after the resurrection. I mean, this wasn't weekend at Bernie's. He was like, you know, everywhere all the time, like teaching all these people and seeing all these people and doing his thing. And here we've got that eight days later. So for eight days, the disciples are all like in Thomas's ear. We saw Jesus. We saw him. And Thomas is like, oh yeah, well, I'll believe that when I see it, you know. You know, I mean, for eight days, can you imagine like you've spent three years of your life with all these people and they're just going on and on and on for eight days. I mean, by the end of eight days, I'm sure Thomas is like, I wish you guys would just be quiet, right? Probably not that kind, but you know. And then verse 26, eight days later, it says his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, you know why he's saying that. The doors were locked. He has suddenly appeared in the room without going through the locked doors, okay? Like, he just appeared, all right? And he says, Peace be with you, because he doesn't want them losing their minds and thinking that they're getting robbed or he's a ghost or whatever it is, right? He's like, peace be with you. They know when they hear that, that it's Jesus. And Thomas doesn't say anything at first. Verse 27, it says this. It says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, believing is a tricky thing, right? You know, we, we, we say we believe in something. We put our faith in something. It's a tricky thing. And sometimes it's not so easy to believe. Thomas is one of those people that it's not so easy just to take somebody's word for something and he wanted to see for himself and he did you know and i think for us i think i think we even with our faith in the lord are guilty at times even for those of us that are seasoned christians are guilty at times of finding ourselves wanting to actually try to add to the belief that we have in Jesus to try to do a little bit of earning our salvation. This is somewhat because many of us have grown up in the South and there is some good old religious Southern teaching that's not all that great when it comes down to it because it's not biblical. It's legalistic. It's these statements that go with things like, don't do that. I mean, if you do that, you're going to hell. Really? What, what exactly that we could do would send us to hell? Because at the end of the day, the way we understand the gospel is that it is a gift in which we receive and we can't earn it. It's not based upon how much good stuff we do or how many church services we go to. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him, raised us up with him from the resurrection in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, here you go. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. We're good at boasting, aren't we? I mean, we can boast with the best of them. I got uh, mentioned Friday night that I was kind of running behind coming from Nashville. Had a load of stuff in my usual car that I'm usually driving my SUV. And then I got to the shop, had to drop it off. I was like, you know what? I don't even have time to unload this. We'll let guys do that. I'm going to grab a truck and just go. So last couple of days, I've been riding around in my, in my work truck. And I don't, I don't get to drive it that much. I, I do enjoy driving it, and the thing that I enjoy driving it uh, that I like probably the most about driving it is when I get in it is I have these thoughts of thinking, you know, if anybody, if anybody messes with me today out on the road, I'll probably just run on over them, right? <laughs> See, this is, and this is why so many of you drive these vehicles all the time. You know, and my old, my old truck, it's an, it's an old Super Duty. It's got the 7.3 and it's, you know, and it's just, you know, and I get in that thing and that thing feels like a tank. 
And one of the guys at church, he used to own it, and he ran like one side of it down a telephone pole. So when I'm in, when I'm in traffic in this thing, and they see it all dented up on one side, and I look at them, it's, I just kind of nod my head. I'm like, yeah, don't get in my way. I'll just run. You know, I'm, I'm not. You don't see any fear on this side of this truck, right? On the other side, there's like one little dent. It's not as bad. Like, oh, it's kind of a nice-looking truck. And then you come around the other side and be like, no, not, not going not gonna to try to run him off the road, you know? You know, we boast. We boast. We boast about the power. Let's hook him up. Let's, you know, let's chain him up and go, you know? And, and, and our boasting is what gets us. It's the pride. The Lord knows. The Lord knows that if we could earn our salvation, oh, we'd be out there like, oh, look what I did. Look what I did. I saved me. I saved some other people too, right? We'd get cocky about it. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. There's a passage in Luke that this all reminds me of. And in this passage in Luke, there's a family with a daughter that has died. And they had come to Jesus to see if he could come heal her. And by the time they get to Jesus, they get word that she's already passed. And that's where we pick up Luke 8, verse 49, and it says this. It says, while he was speaking, talking about Jesus, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And in verse 43, it said, and they laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And, he, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. I was a kid, about eight years old. My parents bought this really old house, built in 1904 in Princeton, Kentucky, where I grew up until I was about 12. And um, This house is a beautiful house. My dad's not super handy. If you ask him if he's got some tools, he's probably going to show up with like a screwdriver and a crescent wrench. The screwdriver may or may not be usable. I love my dad, but I taught him how to change his oil when I was 16. Um, and so, uh, anyway, uh, he somehow talked to a bunch of dudes in the church where he was pastoring at the time and helping him redo this house, huge undertaking, huge undertaking, big house, really big house, like two, two story, uh, you know, old coal deal in the basement, you know, I don't know, like 10 fireplaces in the crazy thing, not even exaggerate, nuts. And, uh, we got where we moved in the house and 
By the way, that, uh, living in those old houses sounds so great until you live in one. It's like living in an old car that you're constantly having to work on, okay? So before you get all jacked up on HGTV, just you may want to spend the night at one in the winter, okay, before you make that, make that commitment, all right? Uh, but anyway, uh, there was a little block garage that came with the house. And that little block garage always had my eye. I mean, since day one, we went and looked at that house. I remember seeing that garage. I remember going. Because even when I was little, I was infatuated with old cars. And I was, you know, I was just thinking, something in that garage, you know. And so one day, after we had moved in, I had been led to believe, after a series of lies told to me by my parents. God's grace is good for that, too. Thank goodness. And... They had let me believe that you could not open this garage. There was no getting in it. Couldn't be possible. And, uh, you know, it had this huge, like, of course, it was a garage door that would go up, but it was one of these that was in the sections, but it was wood. It was made of wood. This thing probably from the 60s, I'm guessing, 50s or 60s. And uh, my best friend was over, Josh, one day. He was over, and I looked at him. I said, you and me today, we're getting in that garage because I knew, I was just knowing, you know, I had believed and believed and believed we're going to open this garage and we're going to find the General Lee waiting on me <laughs> to be its new owner and care for it and polish it and all this until I turn 16 and then it's going to be great. It's going to be the Duke's Hazard all over. And uh, so we get out there and of course, again, we're short on tools around the house. So we find a couple of hammers. And it's got one of these things in the middle of the door that you would turn, you know, that latches, you know, into the sides of the thing inside the garage. And so, um, but it's an old one, okay? This is old stuff. And so we, we, we basically, I said, you know, we came up with this plan. We're going to hit this thing at the same time going opposite ways to try to get it to turn. So we start banging on this thing. Sure enough, after a while, banging on this thing, we start getting it to turn. Once we get it unlocked, then we're like trying to get it up. But this door is heavy, and we're like eight, you know, and we're little scrawny kids, and, you know, we get it, like, so far up, like, stick a bucket under it, okay? You know, what are we going to do when we get it so far up? Oh, let's go find this, and we go find something else, and we're going to get it up a little further, we're going to stick that under it, and in the very end, we got, like, a broom, and we're literally, like, you know, trying to, like, wedge this thing up to stay up, right? And then we finally get it open, and there it is, a 1972 Liberty Bell Shuffle Alley. Right now you're asking yourself, what is a shuffle alley? Right? You remember the you remember the machines? It was like a uh, it was like a bowling machine where you have like a hockey puck and you slide it down the alley? It's that. And in that moment, I forgot about the General Lee. And in that moment, I was like, this is the greatest day of our lives. Right? I could have believed for the next 20 years of my life that there was a General Lee in that garage. And the truth is, it wouldn't have changed it. Wouldn't have changed it. Because it wasn't the truth. For the past 31 years of my life, I've had the privilege of knowing Jesus. And I can tell you it's true because He has changed me again and again and again. And I ask you, 
if you don't think that God and Jesus can't heal that little girl, bring that little girl back from death to life, do you not think that He can't do it with you too? Do not fear, only believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Today, today is your turn. Today, all you have to do is believe. For by His grace we are saved. And all we can do is believe. If you'd like to talk about what it means to believe in Jesus, I'm going to be in the foyer and I'd love to talk and pray with you. Today, I'm just asking, believe. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the reminder of what you've done for us in the work that was done on the cross. Our Savior, our Savior who endured, was beaten, was hung and killed, not to stay in a grave, but to escape it three days later. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the reminder of what you've done for us, the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I pray for anyone that has never believed that today they would believe. God, do that work in their life today. Draw them near to you. Help them to understand just enough to take the first step out in faith and trust in you and believe. God, we ask this today in your son's name. Amen.